Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning, WCC. Merry Christmas. I'm getting more excited about the season. I might have shared before. Before my wife, I did not care so much for Christmas. I worked retail a lot of my life. And it was that beautiful time of the year where people fought over discounts. Um, and you were required to work late hours and clean up after people touching everything. Worst by far is Halloween. Thank the Lord COVID happened. People aren't wearing things as often. And I'm not doing retail. But with children, I've really grown for that love of Christmas. Um, several of you have gifted me an ad, uh, and Amber Advent readings. I've really enjoyed those that have been given to us. Um, but if I can be honest, I don't like preaching Christmas sermons. I like, I like just going, choosing a book and going verse by verse. My sermon title, if I could choose it, would be Luke 1, 39 through 56. That's where we're going to be today, Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 56. The title, and we have that because... Our sermons are posted online, and you have to kind of put a title. So it's a, a season for songs. That's the title, A Season for Songs. Luke is putting forth a gospel, and Luke has blessings and songs and doxologies all over the place. For example, Elizabeth gives a blessing in chapter 1. Verse 42 through 45, Mary outbursts with uh, sharing of God's mercy in the great Magnificat, verses 46 through 56. Zechariah blesses the Lord for fulfilling his covenant promises and his benediction in verses 68 through 79. The angels ascribe God glory at the birth of Christ, chapter 2, 13 through 14. The shepherds blessed God because they revealed Christ to them, Luke 2, 20. Simeon and Anna respond in praise and thanksgiving in seeing the babe in chapter 2, 28 and 38. At the end of Luke's gospel, he concludes in chapter 24, and he, that's Jesus, led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. This is the disciples. While he blessed him, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Luke likes to share of song, of blessing, of benediction. It's filled with it. I'm someone that loves and appreciates music. I've been with friends and we've written music. I've also seen artists who can be really nerdy when it comes to the ingredients of a song. I remember once uh, witnessing a group of individuals that traveled from all, all over the United States and they were wanting to create an album off of the gospel, uh, after the gospel, after the letter Paul wrote to the Romans. 
So these individuals, and they were true musicians, not just teenagers in a garage. If you're a teenager in a garage, keep it going, okay? I want to encourage that. It saved me from so much. Anyway, true musicians, and they had like commentaries and journals and prayer books, and they just went to town going through the scriptures and what other people throughout history have thought after the book of Romans, and they put together a really incredible album. But when you put music together, there's so many things in the background. If you ask musicians about a particular album, they'll, they'll recall when in their life it was produced, uh, what studio they used, what producer they used, what instruments they used. Seen several documentaries of different bands. Uh, they'll be in the middle of an interview and they'll talk about, that's the snare drum someone used in a certain album. I'm not going to quote it because it's worldly. Uh, but, but like people know like different instruments, different parts, different sections that have a memory to it. When I wrote music with friends, we, we even had like little tiny sections. This is the, the woodchopper riff. I won't even make the sound of that for you because it's not very godly. But, but they knew, oh, the wood chipper riff, that's right, and they would go right back to it and they would play it. Different names, different imageries, usually songs that we know that an artist performs, they know it by a different name because of all the nicknaming and memory tied to it. Luke decides to record for us Mary's song. And we're going to get to that, but I would like to go through, just for a little bit of time, Elizabeth's story as she greets Mary and talk about what memories, what ingredients are involved in Luke's mind as it is told. So let's go ahead and start in verse 39, and we will go through 56. And when they had performed everything according to the... Luke, wrong chapter... In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the, great, the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offsprings forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to talk a little bit about what's going on there with Elizabeth in verses 39 through 45 talk about the background, and then I'm not going to talk about the background of Mary's song, but I believe Mary's Magnificat in verse 46 through 55 really parallels Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel. So you can look at that. You can Google Reformed sermons or, or, or really any faithful expositor, and they're going to take you to Hannah's song and, and Mary's song, and they're going to do a great job. I was a little limited in time And you're limited in time, honestly. We're not spending an hour right here today. So let's go first to the background of what's going on with Elizabeth. So when Luke gives this testimony, I believe he has 2 Samuel chapter 6 in his mind. This is when the Ark of the Covenant is brought to the city of Jerusalem. When it travels from Odebed Eden's home. And that might not sound really exciting to us when the ark goes from Obed's home to Jerusalem. But if you look in 2 Samuel chapter 6, I forget which verse it is. It says that David was so excited, he danced mightily before the Lord. I have a Baptist background. I don't know what it means to dance mightily before the Lord in a way that gives him glory and honor. And to be honest, it just puts humorous thoughts into my mind. I put it on Twitter. What does it mean? I'm about to help me out. We'll see what I get uh, later today. But this was a huge event for the ark of the Lord to enter into Jerusalem because God's presence rested there. And, And David wanted to dwell in the presence of the Lord and to worship him and to be next to his God. So as Luke is thinking about Jesus coming to earth... He wants to tie it to one of the most exciting events in Israel's history. God is among us. God has visited us. But what we find in the babe is is something so much more exciting. Yet from an earthly glance, you would think the opposite. This ark was placed in the Holy of Holies, beautifully crafted and, and used Fine metals like gold upon it. Mary is a young, middle-class, middle-aged teenager giving birth to a regular child. No no throne there in that room, no palace surrounding it. They, they, They lay the child in a trough. From from an earthly perspective. The tabernacle is a big deal. They win wars with this thing. God's presence dwells above it in a smoke, and a child is cute and adorable, but what's so significant about about Mary and Joseph? What we find in this scene is a lot of similarities happening here. You might want to go to um, 2 Samuel 6. You don't have to. I would just like to show some of the parallels there. So the first parallel I see in this covenant exchange is Mary rose to the hill country of Judea to see Zechariah and Elizabeth 
we read at the beginning of Luke's account. This is believed to be just miles away from Obed-Eden's home before David successfully transitions the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. Now, if you remember that account, there's some hiccups on the way. David makes a mistake. He decides to use a new cart and move the Ark of the Covenant in a quick and easy manner, a way in which the Lord did not allow. It goes to fall. Someone seeks to grab the Ark to keep it from stumbling, and they're struck dead. In that event, David is reminded, you are to approach God soberly. This is not casual, even with good intent. God is to be revered. God is holy. God is to be feared. And we're going to talk about fear a little bit later down the line. If, if you do not know the Lord or trust in Christ, and all you hear is God is scary, please just bear with me. I would like to tease that out a little bit more. David asks in 2 Samuel 6, 9, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? How can I transfer this ark into the city, to his city, into his temple? How may I dwell? How can we be together? Elizabeth, overcome with joy, says, and why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In verse 43. Mary, you're here. Mary, you're with child. And you bear my Lord. How can that be? Years of silence. No prophecy. Elizabeth is a humble woman. A righteous woman, but a humble woman. And she marvels at this. When David saw the ark approaching Jerusalem, he wore priestly garments and sang at the arrival of God's glorifying entrance into that city. Elizabeth, who is a priest's wife, testifies, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, Mary, the babe in my womb leaped for joy. So Elizabeth's a Baptist. She has John the Baptist. She's not dancing. The baby is. Totally understandable. Totally understandable. Second Samuel reports that Obed's home was blessed as it brought shelter to the tabernacle. David gets wind of it. They're, they're told, hey, Obed's home keeps getting blessed over and over and over. We need to bring it to the city close to your house. Elizabeth speaks of blessings three times in this short account in verse, in, from verse 39 to 45. Also, we learn in 2 Samuel 6.11, Obed brings shelter to the tabernacle for three months, and Mary stays in the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth for three months. Now, this spiritual significance, I don't want to create a lot of weird off theology from this. I just really believe Luke remembers promises and events of old in redemptive history, and as he writes this account, and as the song is about to be recorded, 
he makes those connections for us. For the first reader, they're, gonna, they're, they're realizing something significant is happening here. This is not just a baby arriving and that's good news. Yes, there was a, a woman of old age that was barren, and now she's to have a prophet. Yes, there's this young woman who's to have a baby, but what is the significance there? God is coming. God is coming in a new way. God is coming in a new way where he can be seen, heard, and touched. Completely different from the old covenant. Completely different from that era. You will hear his cry. You will see his eyes. You will wipe his tears. You will kiss him. And he will heal your sick. He will wipe away your tears. He will die next to you. And he will raise victoriously. God is to dwell with man in a new way, in a new covenant. John gives testimony of this in 1 John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, it brought flesh. And we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, John is my, one of my favorite writers in the New Testament. So he adds things with a lot of weight and depth to it. But this word is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And he says, I lived with him. He dwelt before me. He brought an abundance of joy I want to share about this one who is eternal, who extends eternal life to those that believe. I want to extend the news of him to you so that you may be filled with joy and our joy may be made complete. He is one worthy to be sung about. He has been seen, heard, and touched. So now I want to go to the Magnificat. We're gone from the background of of Elizabeth and that account there. And we're going to just... Read what she sings here. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Have you ever thought about what is the reason or purpose of a song? I wish I spent more time thinking about that. Why in the world do we have music? From the way, in, uh, from my background, I think one of the most important things about music is just to be successful in it. I don't like that, but that's the first thing I think about. If, if I do well enough, it will be recognized And if it's recognized, maybe I would benefit or be supported by it in some way. 
It's very commercialized. I don't like it. But for a couple of years, I really thought that's what I was going to do with my life. is tour, write amazing music, and influence people. But going beyond that, I mean, people didn't have record deals back in the Old and New Testament, did they? No one really made money off of a hit song. You would have skilled musicians, and maybe they would play before the courts and the king. But music was far differently used and seen back in their day. Maybe you don't have a commercialized background when you think about music. And I think the Lord is blessing you in that way. Song can be used to educate you. I mean, the only way I survived some of my classes was to putting things to song. It's also not just used for education, but it could be a vehicle for our own emotions. Start with the aggressive. Think about on the battlefield, different chants that could be spoken to evoke fear and dread on the enemy. On the other side of the pendulum, it can be used to express love to the one you have your gaze on. It can be used to express sorrow and loss. Music, also how it's compiled, can affirm different truths or different beauties like order. Many of the Christian hymns follow the same rhythmic pattern. So you'll have verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. The old ones don't have a bridge or a hook or a chorus. It's just that verse. And that presents to us predictability, good design, and order. And some music, which I find honestly fascinating, tries to not repeat a pattern. Time signatures change. Finding what key it is in is extremely difficult. And that can sometimes communicate the reality of chaos that lives among us. So I find it interesting, Luke finds it important to list so many songs and doxologies here, and we can't even find what tune it is sung to, what instruments might be used or thought of, if any, when it's put together. You know, historians, when they go throughout the ages to investigate songs, Ancient hymns and war cries and ballads are extremely difficult and lacking. Regardless of that, we have this song motivated by the arrival of Jesus. And what she is saying in verse 46 through 49, I think, is the humble are the Lord's. And he is to be satisfied in them, and he is their salvation. My soul magnifies the Lord, verse 46. And my spirit rejoices in God, my salvation. He is the deliverer, yet he is the one that's put her in this dilemma. You're with child. You have not yet known Joseph. But she hears of the promise attached to, to this little one. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Mary here could say that this situation is unfair, it's burdensome, but instead she sees herself as a servant, as a low servant, a one who has been blessed. 
From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So mercy are for those who fear him. This is not for good people. Jesus did not come for good people. He did not come from, for the self-righteous. But for the generations who will fear him. So what does it mean to fear God? Because I don't believe that means walk terrified every step you make. I don't believe that means you, you, you wallow in your woe and you can't move forward. And beloved, if that's where you're at right now, hear this. I think we are to fear God and know that he is true. You can have a little child terrify someone in advanced age if they're loaded in truth. You can be in some kind of argument and someone can just call you out. That's not true. I saw you the other day do this. Doesn't matter your age. When a little toddler calls you out with true knowledge, haven't been there before. Um, it can be terrifying. We fear him because he is true. He is good, but he is true. He holds all power. You believe he is mighty and that he is endless in what he is able to accomplish. To fear him means he holds authority. That means all rights belong to him. You can't say this little corner of my heart belongs to me or this opinion or this lifestyle is mine and I'm Lord over it. To fear the Lord acknowledges all things belong to him and he is authority over those things. It also means we believe he rightly sees and knows all things. Share with the Lord your heart. Share with him those things that frustrate you. But trust that he knows. You never have to educate God on what he missed. So many of my prayers are built in, but do you really know the whole story? And that's really foolish before God. Praise the Lord that he is patient with me in my foolishness. But fear him. Know he rightly sees all things. He understands it. You can dialogue with the Lord, but he doesn't need the explaining. Now Mary turns to the proud, I think, more directly in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Elizabeth and Mary are women in the Middle East in ancient times. Their rights and their privileges are stripped away from them. They, they don't have those rights. They don't have that voice or you might want to use the word platform like women have today. Women were to keep silent and obedient and follow orders. And yet we have an elderly lady and a very, very young teenager saying he puts to shame 
the oppressor. He gives deliverance to his humble servants. He's remembered me. He's providing for me salvation. He is blessing me. Children of God, you are not forgotten. You are loved. And you are blessed in the fear that you hold to because you see God clearly through it. And all false authorities and all minimal powers that would seek to compete, you know they are nothing in comparison to the sovereignty of God and deliverance that is offered in the God babe. Next, Mary reveals in greater detail that this kingdom of God that this child brings is completely upside down from the earth that we live in, from the kingdoms and societies that we grow up in. It is completely different. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is spoken in present tense. She is so sure of what this babe will bring. She speaks, she speaks as if it has already happened. And that's where we are at in salvation. There are things God has accomplished yet will be fully accomplished in greater detail in Christ's second coming. God will bless the virgin with a child. That's backwards. He will reduce the proud. He will remove the powerful. He will exalt the humble. He will satisfy the hungry. He will impoverish the rich. That is the kingdom that this child brings. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Mary knows the story of redemption. She remembers Abraham and the promise given to him in his covenant. It is this promise one of Abraham who will bless. God will fulfill his promises. God will protect his people. And he will do so through a babe. Our response in all of this is to be like Mary. Go back to verse 38. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In this Christmas season, my prayer is that we seek for the kingdom that is coming. My prayer is that we find true deliverance, joy, and satisfaction in what Christ has brought us. Hold to that. Jess talked about this previously, but we have that, that expectation to have a perfect Christmas. This might potentially be your worst Christmas. Let's go home. Amen. No, I hope not. I hope not. Sing the doxology. If you have Christ, you have everything, beloved. You have everything. And I want you to find rest in that. 
He has dwelt among us and we have enjoyed him. And the salvation we have has been promised of old. And our forefathers found great joy and excitement and song in that. May we be faithful in joining in celebration that we would sing of his redemption, that we would read the narrative yet again of this babe being born, that we would remember and meditate on the promises that are given to us. May we think and reflect on those who rejoice at his coming. The great were not there. The kings were not there. The tetriarchs, the judges, they were not there. A woman in old age, a young girl in the middle of gossip, shepherds who are seen as lunatics, these were the people that found hope. Let's live in an upside down kingdom where we are bizarre to this world, but we find hope in this story. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, I thank you so much for the songs that have been written of you. I thank you for the songs that are continually being written of you. You are worthy of all praise. Salvation is a song of joy. I pray that we would grow in our fear of you, that we see that you are truly good, that you hold truth, that you hold all power and authority. We take confidence that you see all things and that you know what is best. And may we, with our eyes, look and find Christ. May we find him in our fellowship with one another. May we find him as we enter into your word. And may he be seen as everything to us. We ask this in his name. Amen.